for an anime so loaded on themes and really have stuff. I'm really impressed that they downplayed it so much until the very end. Hello everyone, welcome to the Weeb Initiative, I'm your host, The Weeb. This is the show where every other week I'll be talking about anime, manga and everything in between. This week I'll be talking about following what I said in the last episode, the one season of Gundam that I really wanted to see what was about, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blood Orphans. This has already, to disclaimers, two seasons of 25 episodes, totaling 50 episodes, and I wasn't expecting that, I thought it was something like The Witch from Mercury, so these will be divided in one episode per season because for the current let's say the current schedule I have I cannot do 50 episodes for one single episode that being said uh, let's start with the actual disclaimers it's probably alert I'll be talking about most of the first season in this episode although there are no real plot twists there's a plot twist towards the end but the build-up is not so good and to a certain point you can actually see it coming from a mile away and for the most part the effects I think will come in the second season so for the most part this episode may be shorter than usual because I don't have the full perspective on the anime as of yet I have not watched the whole two seasons I just finished the last episode of the first season so bear with me on this one this is a review about only the first season so that being said let's start with the stats so mobile sweet Gundam the Iron Blood Orphans is originally an anime the first season came out in October 2015 and ended in March 2016 and the second season started on October 2016 and ended on April 2017 the anime then spawned a manga that started on October 2015 and goes to now. A spin-off manga that started on June 2016 to March 2018 with four volumes. And a game for Android and iOS, Mobile Suite Canary Blood Orphans G. I will just throw it out there, I don't know anything about the game. I think it may as well just be a random gacha that releases nowadays. With that said, let's start with the actual story. So, why did I want to watch specifically this this one Gundam, right? Right after I finished The Witch from Mercury. So, as I said in the previous episode, The Witch from Mercury, from what I know, it's one of the most wholesome of the Gundams that are out right now. And the one that is the complete opposite on theming would be Iron Blood Orphans. Because from what I know, it deals with some really heavy stuff. And from this point forward, I think it's worth the warning that I will be talking about most of this heavy stuff. So people that are sensitive may as well skip this episode altogether. I don't know. Uh, it's your choice at the end of the day. But uh, my point here is that they downplayed most of those heavy themes uh, really well in some cases and in certain 
views you could say that they just put it on there just to say that it is heavy but it never comes up until the very end so actually starting now i remember the orphans is about a group in mars it's uh let's say it's, it starts as a company in mars called cgs c g as and it is a paramilitary groups of some sort composed most of kids and children in general to their teens and some adults so from this point forward we can already see that the implication of child soldiers is a major theming on this anime and we see at the first start that we have our main group our main protagonists are two let's say upbringing brothers more or less that they they basically uh, grew up on the streets until they got the job at CGS Orga Itsuka and Mikazaki August I will be referring to them as Orga and Mika. And then the rest of their group, the, the third battalion, third troop, I don't actually remember. So we have a whole lot of guys. We have Biskito, Eugene, Shino, Akihiro, and so on and so forth. We have a lot of guys, a lot of younger children too. So there are a lot of children there and in different age brackets let's say and for the most part we see at the very start of the anime that their living conditions are poor at the very best they are basically mistreated by their adults they are the third troop third uh, group and so the first and second the second group never comes up the first group is let's say the aces of the company but they are mostly adults and they have this uh, real mystery of children as a main theming on this first part and so we see at the first start that our guys Mika and Orga. Basically, Orga is the the let's say the brains of the the whole thing, the whole group. And Mika is more of his right hand man. It is not so much that Mika doesn't have brains, but he is self-proclaimed. He doesn't understand the complicated stuff, so he leaves it to Orga to actually do anything. And it it's a mechanic that we will see developed throughout the anime that Mika and Orga have this really brotherly love and brotherly uh, trust between them so they will really blindly trust each other to do each uh, to basically uh, pledged of their role so Mika is more of the muscle uh, somewhat and Orga is mostly the talking and the thinking although eventually we will see more of the side characters coming up and helping them uh, for the most part. That being said, uh, we see at the start that the third group is being mistreated and all, and they basically um, get this plan to basically overthrow the company and create an actual uh, company where they can work and create a place to the children that they live with to actually be, be themselves and work a honest job and do honest work and, and so on and so forth. Why is that? Because at the very start, there's this whole thing where we see the, let's say, the main slash side plotline of the series that is the story of Kuderia. I will not pronounce her whole name, it's fucking long, whatever. So Kuderia is this wannabe revolutionary 
from Mars and she wants to go to Earth and handpicks the troops that will get her there. But then when she tries to actually board the ship to go to Earth, we see that there are uh, political powers trying to impede her of that. So there is this overseeing organization that controls all the outer spheres, so things on other planets, so Jupiter, Mars, Pluto, and whatever. They are called Gjallhorn. I think I mispronounced this, but it's written pretty strangely. It's Gjallhorn for what I care. So uh, Gjallhorn is this one overseeing security slash military organization that keeps control of the outer spheres and on Earth too. And basically, there is this whole thing where the organization is corrupt at this point since the Calamity War that happened 300 years ago. And side note, sorry to all the actual Gundam fans, I don't actually know any of the lore. This season is way richer in terms of lore and things that happen in other series from what I gather. That, for example, which for Mercury doesn't actually mention any of it or basically mention it really in passing some of the plot points in Iron Blood Orphans are really centered on the fact that the Calamity War and some other stuff happened before the events of Iron Blood Orphans but I don't actually know that so I would take it at face value I don't actually know if the lore is correct or whatever and I may get something wrong whatever so thing is so Kuderia contracts CGS, handpicks the guys, get me to Earth. So they try to do that, Galahorn sends a bunch of troops and not only that, but troops and mobile suits. At this first encounter, we don't actually see any guns being used by the Galahorn. And basically they start to just massacre everyone. So a lot of kids die already. That being said, the first troop and the um, guys in the management tried to escape. It, Orga and Mika with the other guys from the third group, they kind of pull together and resist the assault from Galahorn. They uncover, they basically dig out of the ground this really old Gundam that they had stored for some reason because it was basically scrap called Barbados. I, I From what I know, Barbados is a really, and I may be, pronounce this wrong, I think it's Barbatos, but whatever. I think it is a really famous Gundam inside the lore of the series, but I don't actually know the significance of that. So they basically dig this out, adapt it to the, let's say, the different, uh, the use of really strange system that is basically an implant that they do to each of the children's spinal cord. I don't actually remember the name of the, the technology they use, but it is, uh, they say it's a relic from the war. It's something that they don't actually use anymore for the most part of Earth or whatever, but it is used for the kids in this setting to make the kids um, 
use heavy machinery and so on and so forth. It is using the Witch from Mercury as a reference. It is their substitute to saying that they used Permit Score. So one one of the things that really jarred me somewhat in watching one after the other, basically one being the newer one and one being the uh, the right the one right before it. There's no mention of Permit Score. There's no mention of Gund format. There's no mention of anything. The only times they talk about Gundams, they call them Gundam frames, and basically there no permit score whatsoever. It there is, let's say, an equivalent. Some, for instance, Mika has to connect his uh, implant to Barbatos as a Jerry Rig kind of solution to actually use it, and at some point he asks Barbatos to give him power. Barbatos basically responds, let's say, and not so much as the, the Witch from Mercury when uh, some new compartment would open and they would unlock new abilities, is more of a, a boost in existing parameters, let's say. But the, there is the drawback we see the. Um, kickback from using this kind of uh, more demanding power let's say given that mika enters the barbatos kills one guy makes the rest uh, retreat and then basically they use the guys that were fleeing from the first company and the um, the management as decoys to actually drag uh, pull fire from them and after that the guys return sheepishly and really uh, it's as we would expect there's more mistreating the guys are really uh, basically <laughs> punish the guy punish the guys from the third group because they use them as decoys and so basically there are a bunch of cowards doing cowards stuff to people that are trying to actually work hard and do the right stuff that being said orga and mika and the rest of the guy the main guys from the third group they orchestrate this plan where they basically overtake the whole company kill some of the guys from the th first for the first group and some of the management and basically let's say they do a hostile takeover of the company it's basically uh, you either are with us or you're dead you may as well leave but that's not the option for some of them it's pretty gruesome scene i'm talking really uh, really light harder about it but it's somewhat a pretty it's pretty not nice okay no, nothing in this anime for the most part is pretty nice they it's pretty gruesome I talk in this more okay kind of vibe, but the, the anime itself, if you are sensible, you may you may get some problems with it. Uh, me personally, I don't actually have much of this because I'm desensitized because for the most part, I've read so many worse things than this. Uh, that's besides the point. Um, on a tangent right now the thing is they basically hostile take over the company and then they have to get money because they pay severance for some of the guys they lose a lot of the assets due to the fight with galahorn and so on and so forth they have to get money somewhere and kudeda is still there and so we will try to actually get her to earth and so she will pay us and then we can keep on operating uh the, the leave from mars has already some of the um, obstacles because they actually have to fight again 
one of the guys from Galahorn that comes alone because he doesn't want to actually it's a more senior officer and so on and so forth he doesn't actually want to kill kids because after he notices that they are shooting at kids he basically don't want anyone else to do that although this one action of he going alone and ends up dying by the hands of Mika with the Barbatos this sparks one of the side characters one of the side antagonist let's say to at the end become one of the bigger ones that's something that happens after some time but whatever it, it comes up later on on episode 23 let's say 22 23 that being said so they finally get get a ship basically impounded they basically it's one of the assets left at the comp at the cgs at the company they took over but not really theirs and so the one thing that starts really uh, the whole takeover this is ours now is that orga orders everyone to basically change everything so they change uniforms they change name from cgs is now called decadan decadan is the iron flower from what i gather from the translation the idea is that it is the iron flower that will never wilt so their their power will be endless let's say and from this point forward they get on the ship and sail to try to sail to work first things first they know that galahorn will be on their asses the whole time so they need to find a way to skirt around and get a guide they kind of get a guide but get sold out because at this point there's one of the adults that stay in the company that is basically another coward but he's trying to basically leech from anyone they end up being sold out to one of the parts of Galahorn and they basically go through a whole lot of obstacles. It's basically an Odyssey, let's say. It's somewhat of a... you can mirror it to the Odyssey, more or less. So they have this huge ship which can carry Barbatos and the reformed mobile suit they got from the other guy, the second guy that Mika kills. And so... We have first uh, the guide that the guide that sold them out to Galahorn, so they kill some of the Galahorn again, and then we meet some of the Galahorn that are investigating the fighting and the, the corruption apparently, because there is this thing where the local Galahorn is already corrupt and they are trying to not start anything or not let uh, Kuderia leave so he can get more support and more money entering his branch but he ends up dying then we have uh, later on in space we have an encounter with the corrupt guy that leads them again to Galahorn but then uh, we see their tenacity and the way that they fight is pretty uh, out there so you they use a whole lot of really reckless strategies to fight not only adults but then other mobile suits they board ships they kill people so it's pretty messed up in this fact that they are actual child soldiers it, it is not for show and one of the points that they make multiple times in the first part is that they want to let's say play as equals to the adults so they have this really hard really strong feeling of trying to get a footing let's say they try to be equal as adults we are not kids we can do 
as well as them and we will prove ourselves and so for the most part the anime for the f this first part centers around this and so we see a whole lot of obstacles around this and then at one point when they get when they want to get um second guy we get introduced to the first allied faction in the whole anime the turbines or Tewas. Tewas is the let's say the conglomerate Tewas is one of the companies working under them and we get introduced to one of the chattiest characters ever a nazi turbine he is this one guy he's one captain of another ship also a pilot for a um, mobile suit and he, the one thing that i really like about this guy and, and it is something really ludicrous is that the whole ship he chief is over is all staffed by his wives so he has a, a whole huge harem of and they pilot mobile suits and fight and do everything on the ship it is really interesting to see they actually pull this this kind of uh theme for a captor off and he's really he's really relaxed really carefree for the most part but he's really serious when it comes to it he then negotiates with tekadan with orga and for the most part to kuderia too so basically orga proposes slash um extends the hand to uh i want to be part of Tewas. i want to be part of your group so we can actually be big timers we don't actually we are nobodies at the moment the company the tekadang as a company is not big enough at this point so we don't actually have jobs we don't actually have recognition we need the backing of something of someone that has already some name to it some face to it and so they negotiate and they have this whole ceremony where Tekadam basically swears a blood oath and, the, and this is the thing the symbology on that scene specifically it's kind of strange i don't actually know if that's right because they use i don't actually remember the name but they use the little the little platforms slash the little uh, the little thing that they put the kokatana that they use on seppuku with the with the sake they drink and it's really strange i don't know i don't know if that's correct or whatever but then they swear this blood off and basically decadent from that point on is let's say a pending member of the tewas group more or less it is then also introduced to us the not only nazi turbine as the main ally but also some of his crew uh, some of the wives so we have Aze, we have echo we have uh, after and some some others that will for the most part become a part of this whole big family whole big uh, group that will work with tekadang uh, also at this point i skipped over her but she's kind of a major character later on uh, atra atra is one childhood friend of uh, mikasuki for the most part and basically becomes the cook for tekadan at that point at the very start when they take over and she's also working with them she becomes way more important in the later part of the season uh, also because we have some other connections that come up 
So one of the main characters that starts is Biscotto, Biscotto, and Biscotto has these two little sisters, and later on we discover that he has another brother that is working on one of the colonies of Jupiter, and he has all the kids in Tekadan have really strange slash really difficult situations they are trying to work towards, so they, they being there earning a salary however small it is and having to implant the the thing on their backs to actually work it they have a reason for it most of the all of them have a reason some are more uh, let's say more edgy than others and more i don't know difficult than others but the the thing is all of them are there for choice for the most part there is one one case in the main cast that is Akihiro that he is actually sold to CGS at the start at the very very start when he was actually a kid as a form of slavery of, of slavery a form of slave they called this human debris it's basically when space pirates invade random ships they capture people and send them to slavers all around the galaxy so it's pretty messed up on that Akihiro has his own arc later on when we actually discover that he has a little brother even after we get this whole thing with Teiwa's done more or less Teiwa's accompanies the guys for the most part through their journey until this one point where they find space pirates that are also another guide and they then there's this whole mobile suit fight and Akihiro actually discovers that his brother Masahiro is alive and they it, it is somewhat jarring to say this but it is really like which from Mercury when Guel kills his father Akihiro kills his brother in a similar fashion, let's say, but this ends up being that Akihiro eventually gets a Gundam for himself after they defeat the pirates and save most of their children, because they also have children working for them. So for the at this point, uh, the whole crew is basically assembled after they have this whole thing with uh, Akihiro's brother. So they keep on going, and when they are near reaching Earth, we get the more, let's say, the more serious part of this of this season, of this whole series, really. The We get to the part where uh, we have these two guys from Galahorn that are actually antagonists and already fought the guys at some point. Makilis and Gaelio, I think. Gaelio, I think it's the right name. I maybe pronounced this wrong, but... We have these two guys, and they are basically uh, supervisors, inspectors for the regulating baru of the Galahorn kind of stuff. And so they they introduce this part where there is this politics in fighting, which within Galahorn and the Earth uh, governments and whatever. And then we get the real kind of plot that involves everyone at the end of the day except for Tekadan it involves Kuderia it involves Garahorn it involves Earth it involves Mars and whatever that basically Kuderia has this mysterious backer let's say and for one reason or another at the start of the 
of the enemy. He backs her up, so gives funny and whatever f to do anything that she needs to to get to Earth. But then he has this revolutionary kind of idea to basically gain power through uh, conflict. So he wants her to die in the public eye. So basically, he, he wants to kill her, but not being traced back to him so he arranges multiple times to get her killed and changes his mind once and because he wants a right to start on mars and other colonies to and to end up gaining power from that it's never really explained but the, the guy at the start is the, the mysterious antagonist uh, later on he changes his mind and after the um, let's say the butler, the maid for Kuderia dies while trying to protect her, he kind of eases out and does, doesn't actually try to kill her because he sees that she has more profitable role if she stays alive for longer because he has backdoor deal with Tewas and so as Tekadan is part of Tewas now he can actually sneak in and get more profit through them than killing her Later on, also, we see that there's this whole thing where everyone in Galahorn do don't want Coderia uh, to actually go to Earth because they want to keep their control over everything. And if she goes to Earth, the fragility on the organization will be exposed. And so there's this whole race where everybody from Galahorn wants to take her down. But at this point, the two that have the major control that being Magilis and Gaerio, they try to take it the fair and square way, let's say, so they try to not involve themselves in the more underhanded ways that other branches try to stop them. That being said, everything comes to a halt when they get near Earth, so when they get near Earth, there is this, let's say, third antagonist that's presented to us as oh my god this is a bad name to say in english issue carta she's upbringing sister of magalis and gaerio gaerio is also kind of upbringing brother of both of them and not only that but we get introduced to let's say another allied faction more or less called the montage company they really appear out of nowhere and Later on, it is revealed who they are and whatever, but I will not mention this here because it, it's a spoiler and whatever. But easy to say, after Carta is introduced, the whole thing really goes really fast. So most of the guys go get out re-entry ship to actually get to Earth without a proper port and actual uh, landing gear so they f find themselves in a specific island this specific island has one guy i don't actually remember his name whatever that is a politician exiled from the control of one of the economic blocks that control galahorn and so he comes up as 
a help to the to the guys from Tekadan and Kuderia so they can get Kuderia to actually speak to the public and the guy wants something in return so he wants to be re-elected the, the chancellor, the prime minister of this economic bloc and so they have this whole internal debate in Tekadan where Bisqueto wants to uh, wants out because he doesn't want to risk anyone ever again uh, risk anyone in a basically suicide mission at this point and then Orga has this pride to himself this role that he has put on himself that he has to basically and and this is a thing that is better explained than anyway I'm really doing a rush on thing here and glossing over a whole lot of details but Open quotes, Orga wants to take Mika to the place they belong and Mika won't stop doing what he needs to do, doesn't matter what it is, until they get there. And so for that purpose, they keep on trying and so they take, they take this politician, take Kuderia and say, yeah, we'll get you to this parliament election, whatever. And so there's this whole little arc on Earth where they push through Garahorn's uh, resistance in low outer orbit, high orbit, I don't actually know the specific term for this, and Carta being a prideful woman, and oh my god, her character is so jarring to me, I don't, it's kind of annoying, I can't really explain. I, I think the VA work is awesome on her, but the, the character itself it does... Ah, it's, it gets on my nerves, I don't know why. The thing is, she's really prideful and whatever. And so there's this whole thing where they push through her, she's offended on her pride, and they try to pursue them into Earth. So they talk to this guy, they try to get away, but then they are followed and... At this point, they basically uh, board a train to get to some other point to then get through with, by car. And the thing is about this train. This is the part of the anime where the whole lot of heavy stuff starts happening at once. So there's an important person that dies. I don't actually want to talk about this now. And... Everyone from that point on, everybody nearly breaks. Uh, Orga breaks because he sees firsthand, and basically the guy sacrifices himself to save Orga. And there's this whole thing where Orga is blinded by revenge, and for the most of it, at, at this point also, I skip through her too, but she's important for this part specific. Uh, for the most part, she stayed in the sidelines being the let's say the more of the adult on the scene, the one that gave out advice when Orga needed, and we have some good chemistry between the two, not in a romantic way, but she's the, let's say, the overseer for Teguas, or inside the Teradan ship, Meribito, I don't actually remember her whole name, but Meribito, I don't remember what, and... So for this part, she she sees the anger building up on these guys because at this point, Orga riles everybody up with this message for revenge and will crush anyone that appears before us as an obstacle. And so from this point forward, the rules of engagement are off. And it's, this is one thing that it is a gag at the start, but later on becomes really brutal because 
at the first time that uh, this Lowbert fleet tries to engage with Tekadan, they start to do a kind of formation, kind of speech, and before they can even end it, the the speech, Akihiro hits one of the guys with one of one bullet of the of his Gundam. So. It, is, it comes out as funny because it's the one thing where you don't actually let the boss finish his whole dialogue to actually engage in the fight. At first it is funny, but later on when they, they get in the train and there's only like three people. So there is Karta and two, uh, two NPCs. She wants uh, an actual duo. And at this point, Mika is going a little wacko at this point because everybody's a little wacko from the revenge talk and whatever. And before she can even try to finish her, I think she's like in the middle of her sentence. Mika just comes out in Barbatos and strikes both of the guys down, nearly kills her. And when she he's going to actually finish her off, and it's a pretty brutal scene. The the whole thing is pretty messed up. And at this point, Maribito is watching every one of the little kids watching that thing. Uh, unravel and she's horrified by the, the the whole brutality kind of stuff being exposed to children and, and it is at this point it is understandable but it's kind of hyper uh, being a hyper kid because most of those kids already saw a whole lot of death so it comes out as uh, kind of too late for that i guess but the whole thing kind of gets pretty messed up let's say so karta eventually gets rescued by Gaerio, but succumbs to her injuries and dies. And then at the end, we push through, there's this whole confrontation in, in the entering of the city. So to get Kudeda and the politician to actually talk in this kind of election kind of stuff. And we, they push through, there's a whole, so, oh, there's this plot twist that happens kind of already revealed at this point more or less and then there's a setup for the second season when the guys will return to mars i don't actually know if the the anime doesn't actually show i don't actually know if the second season will start with them going back so being the iliad or (laughs) maybe doing something else i don't actually know so for this part i will talk more about my opinion this is the whole the whole first season that i can't really stand this way more because at this point I glossed over so many details I don't actually need to open up more about the whole thing also because I don't have much to say at the end of the day and this is the one thing that I want to talk about for how much for how much I saw about this being really heavy on the on the themes and doing caring about sensitive stuff and, and so on and so forth I I really preferred the witch from mercury and i mean i may be biased about this that's that's fair the thing is for the most part right this is not that strong let's say that there's no drama for the most part there's only action you don't actually get any of the stakes that we have in the witch from mercury let's say they don't i don't actually think they build up that well or if it was the intention to not build up anything really. But at the end of the day, the anime is pretty straightforward. There's no build up to any 
specific trauma, the whole thing kind of just happens and doesn't actually doesn't actually do anything to anyone. That being said, the story is pretty straightforward. There is the whole thing about the plot twist and whatever, but doesn't actually change anything for the most part in the first season, so there's that. And I think the story is fine. I it is pretty much uh, an action anime, really. It is just watch the big robots uh, kill themselves at the end of the day. For the most part, the the one thing that the thrilling part for the most part of the season is the fact that Orga and Mika work in a in a really specific and different way to the other guys and how Mika dissociates from killing anyone because he doesn't actually feel guilt or show any emotion about it. There is a point there that they kind of question it if he's beginning to enjoy it, which then becomes that whole uh, not only psychological thing but the uh, philosophical thing where he enjoys killing other men. But that is mostly underplayed, they shove that plot point out the window pretty fast. And for the most part, the anime is fine. I think for the first season, seeing as the first season, I think it's fine. I think Kuderia, the build up to her whole character arc is for the most part pretty enjoyable. Although I don't actually understand the beginning because she seems like a revolutionary that doesn't actually know anything about revolutions, which becomes really strange because for the most part, I mean, have you ever seen or read about the story of revolutions? I don't actually think people just happen to be there and talk some shit and then revolution happens. I think they kind of have, I don't know, previous knowledge about it. I, I can't explain it really why I'm saying this. It is something that the anime shows way better than I can explain here. But the start of her build-up is pretty strange. The end result, I think it's pretty nice. At the end of the, the season, we see that she actually evolved as a character. She understands her role, her responsibility. That's the one thing that they keep on spewing at the end of the season the responsibility and the things that you need to do and things that people are expecting you to do and so on and so forth. Outside from that, the other things that you're also, aside from corporate and the normal corporate struggle, the whole thing about child soldiers, slavery and whatever. There's, you know, the self-diving happens once, the unionizing and working conditions and so on and so forth. There's a whole lot of things that you can pick apart on this anime, but they are not really well delved into. They don't actually expand on it, which to me, it's a bit of a letdown because, again, 50 episodes, I thought you could do it, but apparently not. Then again, I don't I have not yet finished the second season, so I can't really say it with the whole thing in perspective. Uh, that being said, I'm talking about animation. Animation's fine for the most part, the fights are fine. There's some fun stuff at, in the middle there, which is pretty nice. I, I think the overall, the animation is pretty well done, uh, no complaints for my part, they chip out when they need to chip out and it's not really noticeable, I think they reuse a whole lot of frames that I don't actually think they needed to, but for dramatic effect I think it's okay, although it's the same trick 
done way more than twice, so it kind of loses the appeal after a while. Uh, that being said, there is also the fights are really well done. The whole thing about the different mobile suits, the guns, really nice. Talking about now music, where <laughs> the Witch from Mercury had some really heavy hitters with Yuasubi as the first <laughs> opening. That that thing is unbeatable <laughs> on this series right now. Yuasubi. Quick side note: This is my mild take. Some some people may agree with me, maybe not. But Yoasubi for me is the Lisa for that was back in the 2010s. Let's say it's not to say that one necessarily substitutes another one, but Yoasubi uh, has become the 2020s version of Lisa in the 2010s. Uh, I would need uh, way more time to explain this, but we are at the very least at the end of this episode, so so I will leave this more to another time. The thing is. Talking about, we have two openings, two endings. The first opening, uh, Men with a Mission, Razor Flags. I started really liking it, and then I listened to the whole, the full version. Not really my jam. After listening to it, the the version that they have on the opening of the anime itself, the one and a half minutes version, it, it is somewhat impactful, on in my opinion, and it this also brings up another thing. This anime gave me so much of a vibe akin to God Eater 3. If you ever played God Eater 3, played through everything from it, the whole story at the very least, not the post-story stuff, the whole story, and then watch this anime, you feel right at home. It feels so so like that. It is so similar in, in feel and vibe. It, it, I oh, it's something really strange, but feels I feel at home. Let's say I really liked God Eater Tree. Uh, whatever. Now talking about the second second opening, not much to write home about. It's fine. The first ending, uh, "Tears Orphan" by I think Misia. That song hits hard. That song hits really really hard. That uh, the first ending really nice. The second ending nothing really to write home about. And for the most part, that's my summary of the first season of Iron Blood Orphans. It is pretty good. It's pretty decent at the very least. It, I mean, for the most part, it's better than some of the things coming out nowadays. So I think it's serviceable. It's good. It's a seven and a half out of ten. It's pretty nice. I don't like to give numeric ratings for these things anymore, but just to give kind of a scale, let's say, because because I think that I'm giving a really lukewarm dissection of it. Although I really like it and would recommend it, so to just give a scale, 7.5 out of 10. I think it's mostly pretty good. That being said, after this whole rant and whole spew about whatever I'm saying for one hour already, thank you guys for listening, thank you for being here. If you guys like what I do, if you like the show, please like, please follow, please subscribe, please join the Discord, depending on the platform you're in, please share with your friends and whatever. And I hope you guys stick around for next time. Bye.